There's no such thing as like women's writing or writing for women. I was polite, but I just went for it when so many people were just saying no. I had the luxury of writing what I cared about the most for a long time. I want to publish like amazing, brilliant, urgent, strange, innovative fiction. Think about every scene ending with a bitch slap. I'm Lex Alptrom. And I'm Lee Stein. And this is The Bindercast, a conversation series featuring our favorite women and gender nonconforming writers. This week, we're talking about the future of TV and film, both where it's getting made and whose stories will be told. Our guest this week is Shadi Potowski, a writer, producer, and co-creator of Danger and Eggs, an animated kid show that debuted last fall during Amazon's pilot season. And we'll be returning with its first full season in 2017. So, Lee, do you watch a lot of cartoons? I do not watch cartoons. I am such a verbal, literal person that I just <laughs> – I don't have like – I have no spatial intelligence. I have no visual imagination. It's just like not my thing. But that being said, I am super impressed with animators. I love watching people lo- draw live. Anyone that can draw and make visual art blows me away because it's so not my skill set. So I I love animation. Like I'm a huge Steven Universe fan. I am a huge Adventure Time fan. I all kinds of oh I could I could list all the cartoons I like, but we would be here for far far too long. Um, and one of the things I really like about cartoons is that it does really expand the realm of possibility. Like you can do a lot of things. You can break a lot of boundaries that you don't get to break when you're casting physical people in roles. But as much as I love animation, I am equally befuddled by how it all gets made um, and just how that whole world works. And so it's really cool to talk to Shadi about how she broke in and what the process is like because, you know, even just TV, the whole pitch process to me is a mystery and it's also a mystery to people who work in TV. So talking to someone who's been through the experience was really, really fascinating. So that said, getting into animation, it's not easy for anyone. But for Shadi, it actually felt particularly difficult because she's a trans woman and she just wasn't really sure that there would be a place for her in Hollywood, especially in the kids entertainment industry. You know, I'd always loved animation, but I was really afraid of L.A., um, like fascinated, but also terrified because I'd seen that movie where the day takes you with Ricky Lake. And I thought that as a trans person, if I ever moved to L.A., I would be swallowed up by the city and be living under an overpass, sucking dick for money. Like I was sure that that was going to happen. So it never felt like a real career possibility. Instead of running off to Hollywood, Shadi went into web development. That eventually led to doing work for Cartoon Network and Nickelodeon. And that led to doing work on Yo Gabba Gabba. And the success of Yo Gabba Gabba, well, that started opening doors, which gave Shadi the chance to pitch her own ideas. And I remember the first show I pitched at Disney Channel. It was, this is how naive and ignorant we were. It was like it was about this like drunk, dead pop star ghost, like basically like Kesha in her music had died or like Kesha and Britney Spears at her worst had died and uh, we thought that would be great for kids and it wasn't it was just like (laughs) it had a picture of like her running with a broken bottle that seems more like Bojack Horseman style than kids yeah for sure but it was just like 
it just felt like a good story. And there was like there were these two kid fans. It was this um, girl, and then and then this like little draggy little brother who like loved her and dressed up like her and stuff like that. It was not Disney Channel. They didn't tell us no. They were like it was an executive who's still my friend now, but he was like. Oh yeah, just uh, you know anything else, <laughs> you know, but very encouraging and and stuff. And then we just we, then we did pitch another show to them that they optioned, and then didn't, we didn't end up going and making a pilot with that. But it started to get us in the process. Initially, pitching TV shows felt similar to pitching like a marketing idea, right? Like it's a PowerPoint presentation, and you're kind of going through it. Um, but I don't know. It was just general story stuff. Like when we first started, obviously there was like the we didn't really know what people wanted. We were going out a lot with like, what are you guys looking for? Oh, you're looking for, you know, which is not the way to do it. We just didn't really know how to approach it as like, and I didn't know how to approach it as like a storyteller, as a writer, as somebody who had something to say. I thought of it more as a production company or in a business. Like let's get a TV show and we'll figure out everything later. And it wasn't until I started pitching like this story matters to me because – this is my relationship with my grandfather and what happened when my parents were a little absentee and, like, I took care of my little brothers. And that's what the story is about. And then it feels real and, and it's coming from a point of view. And so learning to be a writer through pitching and failing is kind of what happened. Because I really like talking about the pitching process because I think that, you know, a lot of like how writing careers work is kind of mysterious and people in book publishing, it's like, how do you get an agent? Like, what is all that about? But I think even more so the TV pitching process mm-hmm. feels like very opaque where it's like if you're not in the industry and even if you are in the industry, potentially, it's not totally clear. There's no like a, there's no obvious path to success, if that makes sense. Well, I think that's true, but I optioned a lot of shows, and I use a template. But most of the stuff that we've optioned and we've worked with other people optioning is a pretty formal pitch where you have, you know, who you are, what you've kind of done, you know, this is us, and then here's the show, and then it's all just like really starting from character. This is so-and-so. This is what they want, you know, and – uh and then here's another character, and then this is so-and-so, and this is their relationship, and then here's another character, here's another character, and then here's kind of the world, and here's kind of the point of view. I think that there's a world slide and, like, a point of view slide. Um, so it's pretty fully formed. You know, not we don't talk about, like, what the budget is, or we don't talk about what the length is, or, like, anything like that, because, you know, that's all stuff that they're going to – that they already know what they want to – get but it's just completely about character and just starting from like a character and their point of view and since i've moved to that format you know i've just optioned stuff everything i mean when i've optioned everything i've pitched except for one adult show but optioning doesn't actually mean the show is going to series shaddy's had over a dozen development deals but danger and eggs is her first full-blown show but even before Danger and Eggs got out of pilot season, Amazon's pitching process gave Shaddy something amazing that she'd never had before. Visibility for her work. Like the greatest part of it is that people can see your work. Like that's the good part. It's mm-hmm. like you made a pilot and people get to see it and that's so good. Like that's the thing. That's what you want. Um, and it also – so what happened with that when I put that pilot up, other people that had already – closed off deals like un, like one of my other development deals like reopened 
Mm-hmm. And, like, people called me about other work and writing for other things. So I had the series Knock On. Like, that alone boosted my career and Mike's career mm-hmm. and Puny's reputation. So it's huge. And for anything else, it's like everybody just thinks I'm, like, what, sitting at home getting high or something all the time. Like, they don't – when you're working in development, it's like you have a job. You're getting paid. You're getting paid to make TV shows. But no one sees it. So you just have to, like, you know, just say, like, I worked on this thing that didn't go – and, and then you don't have the IMDb credit. And... Yeah, it's not on IMDb. Like, there's just a million reasons why that is not great, and while the other thing is great, the thing that's not great about that is I did. I just was like, and you don't have to do this. I don't, you know. I think Joe Soloway with Transparent said like, "Hey, if you want more information on my pilot at that time, mm-hmm. you know, click this link." I think it was like one tweet or something, you know. But for me, I really campaigned. You know, yeah. it was just like asking friends to talk about it and like retweeting and stuff like that. So you know, and that actually really worked. And so um, that part of it, I didn't like. I don't, you know, it, it felt like a Kickstarter or something like that. But overall, it was awesome. And, and of course, you know, had the show not gone, I maybe would feel like garbage about doing the campaigning part of it. But because it went, I feel like it's all worthwhile. I think I campaigned more than anybody who's ever had an Amazon pilot. So I don't think you have to do that. I do know, and I can't really talk about a lot of results, but I do know that it worked. Um, But I also know that in the past, it hasn't worked. If the lead singer of Kings of Leon tweeted about my show and then people went to that link to watch the show and it didn't feature the lead singer of Kings of Leon or or Adam Levine is maybe a, a better one because mm-hmm. he's like the hot guy, right? Like, yeah. So if people didn't go and, and they see – and it's not about him, they might start watching it and they'd be like, what's this? And then they'd unclick. And so like your your percentage – like your, it looks like your viewer drop off is really high, so like you can't just like blanketly campaign or blanketly celebrity. It's just like there's all kinds of like factors and variables that I don't even know and didn't know. One thing she does know: bringing a personal perspective to your work always makes it stronger. You know, we made this character. Dave, Dave created the character, and then I kind of fleshed him out. But it was like this um ugly dog, and it's like this dog's like about being trans you know like it's about being queer it's about being like um feeling ugly in a world it's about beauty standards it's about all this stuff and of course it's a kid's cartoon so then it came out just being this sort of ugly dog who wanted to be adopted but like you know when if i'm in the room and i'm like talking about it in relation to my point of view and my worldview and lived experience they're interested yeah you know So in addition to being a show creator and immensely talented and all the things that we've been talking about already, Shadi's also one of the advisors for Out of the Binders, which, again, is the nonprofit that produces this podcast. And she's been amazing to work with. She's fantastic. And her point of view was so essential for Lee and me because while we know what it's like to be cisgender women in the world of writing – Being trans women is an entirely different experience. I mean, it definitely has a lot of the same elements that all women go through. But if cis women have to walk backwards in high heels, trans women have to do that and spin plates of fire. When I started transitioning, it it was kind of a slow process, but like I – I thought my career was over, but I just happened to transition to like just before it became like there was a big consciousness about it. So mm-hmm. um, it was Disney 
that made me feel good about it, actually. So so the first company that I pitched post-transition was Paramount. And I went in to do some marketing work. And, like, I was just me. And they liked it. And, like, and we got the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the Michael Bay website. Like, we did that whole thing. So it was, like, a big, a big job. And then I optioned a show with Disney Channel. And um, got invited to, like, a little happy hour kind of thing. And the president was there. And I was just like, you know what? And I... I was holding back tears, but I was like, I when I transitioned, I thought I would never be able to – I thought nobody would option a show, especially a kid's show. Like to have a kid's show written by a trans person that's like – like, parents aren't going to let their kids watch that garbage, you know? <laughs> like that's what I had in mind. And he, and he was just like – he's like, no, that doesn't matter to me. He's like, are you going to make us money? And I was like – it's just about making you money. I feel like this is weird for some people that are going to hear this. But for me at that time, I was like, I can make people money. You know, that's not – yeah, if it's just about that. So then I – that I, – I lost it actually. I did start crying after mm-hmm. I walked away from him. But um, but then, yeah, the, that fear rapidly dissipated. And then right after that was like the rise of Laverne Cox. and uh, And I remember her like – being nervous about Orange is the New Black and talking about that at like a trans pride event and just being like not sure about how that reception was going to be and stuff. And then, but everything changed in like, I think it was about a seven month thing because Jared Leto did his shitty Golden Globe speech. And then between that and like transparent going on the air, there was just like a very quick from zero to trans is okay. And, and in some circles kind of cool. Yeah. Um, happened really fast, like two years ago. So speaking of Transparent, Transparent is at Amazon. Uh-huh. Your show is on Amazon. Yeah. Uh, do you feel like Transparent has had any impact on what it's like to be a trans person working at Amazon? For sure. I mean, they all – everybody has an understanding of the language. So I don't – you know, nobody's saying like, I learned this from Transparent or working with those people. But – it's very comfortable. I think it maybe has an impact on how I work too because it's like when I'm in a room and I see that transparent sign, I'm just more cozy. Like it's a comfortable situation. Not, I mean I have problems with that show like a lot of people in the community do and you know, I, I'm very political about um, trans actors um, getting trans roles. But like I, it's completely made me more comfortable. And then there's very specific things where it's like grease the wheels a little bit where transparent – they didn't do any press about this. They didn't make this about them. They got basically all of Hollywood to sign a letter to the WGA to get trans healthcare added to WGA's health plan or to stop restricting trans healthcare because that's really what it is. Nobody's adding it. It's people it, – there's language in these health plans that say like we do not cover this. Yeah. So it's like to stop restricting it. Um, and, and it's going up for like a union vote and stuff like that. But they got like, you know, um, Norman Lear and Lena Dunham and like the entire writer's room on just basically every show. Like they work this hard and just like, got you know, it's a letter signed by all of Hollywood. Wow. Nobody. Yeah. And they didn't say this. And so and that was to get, you know, just to do this thing for trans people. So the fact that they did that and they're doing that kind of behind the scenes stuff means that now that I'm doing that with the Animation Guild, there's already, like... Precedent. Precedent. And Amazon supports that. And they know that that's happening. And they know it's an issue with the unions. Because the entertainment unions are very trans-exclusionary around healthcare and certain things. Um, And, uh, you know, so, yeah. 
that makes the path a lot more clear. But while things are getting better for trans people in Hollywood, there's still a lot of work to be done. I mean, the big thing is that we are being hardcore exploited. There's there's some sayings like Hollywood doesn't lead, it follows right. So with every civil rights battle, there is a period of exploitation by Hollywood right after it happened with the, you know, with African-American civil rights, happened with gay civil rights. Like there's just because of the headlines and because of public consciousness, there are producers, mostly white, straight male producers in Hollywood that are like, let's do a story about that. It's it's. It's free marketing, right? It's ripped from the headlines is what they call it, right? So with the rise of this trans civil rights stuff, all these projects got greenlit and they're all they're, – they don't involve us at all. They're stolen from our culture. I mean as much as you can be like, I like the Danish girl. It's like the Danish girl is about like one of our ancestors. It's our cultural story and no trans person worked that at, on that at the highest levels like – no trans producer, no trans director, no trans writers. That is exploitation. It's just like they're just mining our culture and then putting their spin on it, and it's not good. You know, it's it's okay, and yeah, you can maybe find a trans person that's like that, but like all the trans people I know are like so dynamic and funny and weird and cool and like, you know, and it's like, but every single one of them when they have this, their straight cis, you know, big actor play them. It's always just this, like, soft, like, well, hello. I like, you know, just this, like, their view of femininity. and. Are you telling me you don't spend every night in the mirror taking your makeup off and crying? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just, like, yeah, just pulling just pulling my weave off and <laughs> in front of the vanity. I mean, there's all those tropes, which are, which are their own problems. But the real problem is that they're just not – there are not trans people at the highest level. And then what happens in that kind of oppression is just like everybody's like, well, just fucking – it's called acting. Acting's acting. Anybody can play anybody. And it's like, yes, creatively acting's acting. I mean, you know, the, some of the greatest actors got their start in grade school playing a tree. <laughs> you know, like you can play a tree and I'm not advocating for trees' rights. It's everybody can play everybody, you know. But there's also the business and the exclusion side. And with Hollywood, it's been 50 years of, like, constant defamation and exclusion, like, really violent defamation where trans people were, trans women especially, killers, Buffalo Bill, all that psycho, all that stuff, you know, just just killers. Or, like, there was this whole phase in the 90s. I think Alexandra Billings played about 100 women who were going to die. Their transition was killing them. You know, they're in a hospital. It's like, well, you're taking these hormones. And, and uh, you know, if you want to stay a woman, I, I, that was one storyline. Like, you have this cancer that your hormones are causing. And if you have to go off the hormones. So if you want to stay a woman, you can either stay a woman and die Or become a mannequin and live. Like, those are real storylines. Not only are trans actors shut out of interesting roles, they're also shut out of the awards that come with them. Over the history of the Academy Awards, there have been seven Oscar nominations for cis actors who played trans characters. In contrast, there have been zero Oscar nominations for actual trans performers. Adding insult to injury... When cis people tell transgender stories, they tend to focus on one small part of the trans experience, ignoring countless other 
way more interesting tales. I mean, there's still a big problem in Hollywood where it's still like the cis obsession is about transition. You know, so you watch something that trans people make, like her story, and it's there's transition is like because to us, transition is very like routine. You know, everybody goes through it, we do it, and we move on. And it's like, and it happens relatively fast. I mean, there's definitely people that like, you know, have like a lot of surgery and stuff. But think about Caitlyn Jenner, right? Like in in the timeline, it felt like it was like that transition felt like it took like a minute, right? Yeah. And that's really like, that's the truth of it for us. Like, it's like, I am Kate. Like, that made sense. There was like a, there was like an interview and then there's I am Kate. And it's just like that fast, you know, but Hollywood really likes to like dwell on the transition. The whole movie's about the transition and that period and like this awkwardness and all this stuff. And it's just like, we have a lot of stories to tell that aren't being told. If you want to keep in touch with Shadi, you can follow her on Twitter at Shadi Petoskey. That's S-H-A-D-I-P-E-T-O-S-K-Y. The Bindercast is a production of Out of the Binders, a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to advancing the careers of women and gender nonconforming writers. Follow us on Twitter at The Bindercast. For more information about Out of the Binders, go to BinderCon.com or follow us at BinderCon on Twitter.